Amen. Take your copy of the scriptures this morning and open to Psalm 100. To be honest, I'm a bit overwhelmed because I don't believe I have anything good to add to what we've already said and sang. Who, O Lord, is like you? There is none above beside you. You deserve it. We will give it. May that be our prayer and motivation this morning, that he deserves it, and we will give it. Psalm 100 is a very familiar passage, one that most of the people in the room could probably quote. It's been regarded by many as the greatest worship stanza ever written. Psalm 100 is a part of a collection of psalms. We read the first one during our welcome time, Psalm 93. Psalm 93 through Psalm 100 declare the majesty and greatness of God in His kingly rule over all of creation. And they serve as a collection of calls to worship to God's people. And these psalms, especially Psalm 100, has been saying for ages when God's people gather. So, if you have found it, will you stand with me? That we may show our honor and reverence for the word of God as it is read in our presence. Psalm number 100. Will you hear the words of the scriptures? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. This morning, trusting That the Holy Spirit will preach the message. I want to use for a thought a worldwide call to worship. You may be seated. Father, this is your time. May you speak. May we see in spite of ourselves, a glimpse of your majesty, of your greatness, of your glory. And in doing so, may we be motivated with every breath to give you the praise that you so richly deserve. Lord, I feel my littleness. I feel my complete inability. But I believe this passage has something to say to us. Speak for your servants, listen. Open our eyes that we may see, our ears that we may hear, our hearts that we may understand, and our mouths that we may praise the glory of your name. We pray this with confidence because Jesus is alive. In his name and for his sake we pray. And God's people together said amen. 
As we mentioned just a moment ago, Psalm 100 is regarded by many as possibly the greatest worship verse or worship chorus ever written. This passage is memorized the world over by countless young ones. As I said, many of us in the room could probably quote it. You probably learned it in Sunday school years ago when we mentioned Awana. And I believe as much as ever in the importance of that ministry, as we're training up our little ones in the way they should go, I can remember being in Moana as a little sparky back in the day, learning Psalm 100, the whole psalm, to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, to serve the Lord with gladness and enter his presence with singing, to know that he is God and that it is he who made us and not we ourselves, or that we are his, we're the sheep of his pasture for the Lord is good his steadfast love endures his faithfulness his kindness his greatness and grace to every generation that follows most of us could at least stumble through it and quote it it's been set to pieces of music for ages as well the most familiar of which is called old hundredth it's titled that because it is connected to the 100th Psalm. And it's the phrase that, or the, the tune that we're most familiar with singing the doxology to. And let me go ahead and let you in so that there are no surprises this morning. At the end of this, we're going to sing that together. And I'll explain more in just a minute. An ancient hymn written in the 16th century is titled, All People That on Earth Do Dwell. And it's a paraphrase of this 100th Psalm. And as we read this psalm together today, I'm going to use that hymn, and that's the one we'll sing at the end, as a filter to walk through this, to see how it is that we are to worship as God's people, as God's sheep, those who've been redeemed from death through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to begin with a statement. Normally, when we preach, Mike and I both use consecutive exposition, which means we go verse by verse through a text. And we're going to do that this morning. But I want to start at the end in verse number 5. Because I believe that is the backdrop for all that we read. Just like this is back here behind us. The baptistry is here. These banners are here. The, the plants are there as a backdrop. I believe verse 5 is the backdrop for the rest of what we read. Do you remember what it said? It said that the Lord is good. That's what's out there on our sign. I put that on there weeks ago when I first read this, not knowing that I'd be preaching it this morning. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. There's just a simple statement we need to make this morning before we go further. The Lord is God and the Lord is good. I want to know if you believe that this morning. The Lord is God and the Lord is good. Because that statement, as simple as it seems, is going to determine the depth and the consistency with which we worship. If we don't believe that God is truly God... Well, there's not going to be very much worship. If we don't believe that he's truly good in all of his ways, in all of his purposes, then our worship's going to end up being shallow and inconsistent. But if we come to the realization, brothers and sisters, that God is God and that he is good, that opens the door to a deep, renewing, refreshing walk with him. And our worship becomes a byproduct of that relationship. The Lord is God and the Lord is good. His love and faithfulness endure forever. In our day, we've seen this revealed to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our worship should be a response to who God is and what He has done for us 
in the Lord Jesus. The hymn that will reference all people in verse 4 says this. For why? The Lord our God is good. His mercy is forever sure. His truth at all times has firmly stood and shall from age to age endure. Now let me ask you a question. We're going to walk through this together. And I'm asking Ben as much as I'm asking you. Did you drive up onto this campus this morning thinking, I'm here because God is God and He is good? If we had to be honest, I don't want to speak for you, but I know how it is to be in a routine. I know how it is to be thinking of everything else. Oh, I have uh, to stand and, and have a part in the choir song. I have to make sure the baptistry is full. We're baptizing in the second service. I'm teaching Sunday school. By the way, I'm preaching this morning. I know what it means to show up and think about everything else. I wonder if anyone drove onto this campus, walked into these doors, and thought, I'm here because God is good. I'm here because He is faithful. I'm here because He loved me so much that His Son died for me. And more than that, He lives for me today. That's why I'm here, I wonder. And I know that we say that. I know that we say, well, of course, Ben, it's easy to, because we're so familiar with the gospel. Mike mentioned this some time ago, talking about a very similar subject. But I wonder how many of us, if we pulled the gospel out of it somehow, would still gather here next week just out of habit, just out of conditioning. I want us to see this morning, brothers and sisters, that the reason we sit in a very physical room, in a very physical place, is because a very real God came to this very real place and really died, and His Son really beat death three days later. He's really alive today, and He's really coming back one day, and that makes all the difference. And that's why we're here. The Lord is God. And the Lord is good. So, three observations I want to make about this call to worship. That is going out to all the earth, really to all of creation. That should compel us and motivate us to worship. Number one, will you notice beginning in verse 1 and 2 that we should worship the Lord with joyful service. Listen to the psalmist writing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence With singing, worship the Lord with joyful service. Three things underneath this that we're going to see. We should shout, serve, and sing. And no, I did not come up with these and alliterate those so perfectly and get an A plus in seminary because they want you to set all that up just perfectly. This is right out of the text. We should shout, serve, and sing. Look back at verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. We should shout. This word joyful noise could also be rendered out of the Hebrew, lift up your voice to shout with joy or to raise the battle cry because the Lord is God and the Lord is good. We could really put verse 5 at the beginning and then read this. He says, make a joyful noise because the Lord is God and the Lord is good. Have you made a joyful noise lately? And I am asking this morning straight up, Person to person. When is the last time that you just shouted the praise of God? You say, Ben, that's your job. You're really good at getting loud and wound up. When did you do it? We're going we're gonna to say some things this morning that I'm really saying to Ben, and I hope that maybe the Lord will say to some of you. We went to watch the football game last night at the Bailey's house. Will and Tammy, good friends of ours. 
And it was not difficult when Auburn was playing for Will to get excited and kind of come up off the couch a little bit or get on the edge of his seat or say, yeah, come on, let's go. It was not difficult for me when the University of Alabama came on later on. It was not, I don't know, Will started going off in some other part of the house doing something. He's just walking around. He didn't really seem to care that much. He's looking at his phone, talking about school stuff. You ever get around teachers, by the way? I was in a room with three teachers. You know what we talked about most of the night? School. Lincoln High School. B.B. Comer Elementary School. Drew Middle School. Anyhow. It was not difficult, though, for me on any of those big plays to come up off the chair or to say, let's go, go, run, hurry. We went home at halftime. I get a little bit more in my element when I'm not around other people. It's not difficult for me to raise a shout of joy, of triumph because of victory. You're with me. You, un- you understand. Just Friday night, we were out at Welburn and Lincoln doing the same thing. Why is it so difficult to raise a joyful shout when we come into the presence of brothers and sisters who together have been redeemed from death? Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm afraid that our worship reflects that we may not truly believe what we say we believe. I'm afraid at times when we can sit so stoically silent, we'll talk about that in a minute, on our pews and not be motivated or overwhelmed with emotion at times, not be moved to stand up and praise God's name or to actually just shout. I can't tell you the last time someone just shouted for praise in the context of a worship gathering. It would almost be considered out of place at Eastaboga. But it's not when God's people gather. And when we stand before the God of the ages one day, heaven will be one continuous, eternal shout for joy. Amen. Because the Lord is God and the Lord is good. We're motivated by what we see in verse number 5. Psalm 98, a part of this collection of psalms pushing us toward Psalm 100. In verse 4 and following says this, Make a joyful noise, same word here, all the earth. Break forth, listen now, into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The writer of these psalms understood who he was writing about. If we worship the Lord with joyful service, it is to include shouting for joy When it talks about all the earth, you go to Psalm 113, part of the Egyptian Hillel. Again, a similar context, calling us to praise God. It says, to praise the Lord from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. That means all times, in all places, and all people should lift up a shout of praise to the Lord who is God and the Lord who is good. And those who've been redeemed by this One who reigns on high should lead these shouts of praise. The name of the Lord is to be lifted with shouts of praise all 
over the earth. That's why we do missions. John Piper said missions exist because worship doesn't. That's why our pastor is right now in Swaziland training pastors so that they can go into their towns and cities and villages and teach their people so that in that remote part of Africa, shouts of praise can be lifted up to the Lord who is God and the Lord who is good. We worship the Lord with joyful service through our shouts. Notice then that we serve. We serve with gladness. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. All people that on earth do dwell. Sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with mirth. His praise forth tell. Come ye before Him and rejoice. As we walk through this passage and we use this hymn, this paraphrase hymn, that word there, because it was written a long time ago. Him served with mirth. When's the last time you used that one? When's the last time you said, man, you really played with mirth Friday night, didn't you? No, we don't say it. We don't talk like that. What does that even mean? Mirth is, an old, is related to an old English word, which is the same word that we get merry from. And we know that word. Merry Christmas. When you wish someone a Merry Christmas, you're not wishing them a really disappointing and gloomy holiday season, are you? Merry Christmas means I hope your Christmas season is filled with joy, with passion, with excitement. Serving God with mirth, serving God with fear and reverence. We'll talk about it in just a moment, but serving Him with passion. Because He is the Lord who is God and the Lord who is good. This is Romans 12 type service. And in the, in the past few years we have expounded on this at length. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 says to... That Paul is urging God's people by his great mercies to present themselves a living sacrifice, which is many ways to render it, but you can say here that the most fitting is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may understand what God's will is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Your spiritual service of worship, the way you worship God the fullest and the deepest, is through a living sacrifice. No longer do we offer bulls and goats on the altar. Jesus has given us a way straight to the throne room, and we can offer ourselves to Him in service. Why? We've already established, because He is God, and He is good. So, it leads us to another question. Are you serving with mirth? Are you serving with passion? Are you serving with commitment? Understanding who God is and what He's done should lead us to a deeper understanding. Yet, please hear my heart, brothers and sisters. Service in our local church is the easiest and the first to neglect. Yes, we will say with our lips, God is eternal. He is the King, immortal, invisible, the one who gave himself for us. He is the one Jesus said of himself that, behold, I died, I was dead, and now I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. The only person who in his own power has beaten the only thing that we could fear the most. That instead of death being final, now it is just another step toward our victory. That King who is God and who is good, we can easily neglect for something better it's Labor Day weekend but more than just because I think I've established a pretty good uh, file of teaching on church attendance you can refer to past times together 
for my thoughts on that. We have places right now, brothers and sisters, at our church, in our church family, places of service that need to be filled by people who are ready, or who should be ready, but people who are able to do it. I've heard over the last few weeks, there's a need in Awana. And I've heard, well, I don't know, and fill in the blank. There's a need in keeping little ones. When will we have a church that licensed and ordained me? My dad pastored in Cartersville, Georgia. There was a lady, a precious lady, named Elsa Knight. Miss Elsie. Everybody called her Elsie. Into her mid-90s, she taught Sunday school. And brothers and sisters, she taught. She didn't, and she kept little ones, preschool. But she believed it was her responsibility to help the parents at home establish a foundation. And she would take those little ones to the scriptures and teach them the eternal truth of God with passion. When her husband went to heaven before her, she didn't quit. When it became difficult for her to drive, she didn't quit. She got a ride. Yet, we can find every excuse. We don't call ahead when it's time for us to serve. We leave people hanging. We call Melanie or Randy the night before. Brothers and sisters, hear the heart of one of your pastors. That is not serving with passion. That is not servant leadership. That is befitting of the king of ages. We're to serve. Ask yourself, how am I serving? And then finally, we're to sing. We've got to move on. Verse 2 says, to come into his presence with singing. And Mike and I did not trade notes, and we didn't decide we were going to be a one-two punch on this. He preached out of Proverbs, guarding your heart, and I had already written this independently. But when he preached last week, I already knew. I said, man, they might hate us because we're going to hit this twice. But I think the Lord ordains that. Come into his presence with singing. Brother Randy, I think you would agree with me. That in the context of our worship gatherings, we do not sing in a way that is honoring the God of the ages. Ben, why, man, why are you getting in my face this morning, man? Hey, if I could do something else, I would. I'd go sell cars, teach high school, not math, something else. I'd go do anything else, but I can't. I'm compelled. When did it become that our worship gatherings were a performance, that we were to spectate. This is not like what goes on on our college campuses that we flock to and watch. This is not a sporting event. This is not a social event. This is not a concert at the OPAC or the APAC. This is not a performance. This is a gathering where people who have been resurrected from death to life show evidence that that's actually happened. And the scriptures throughout from Genesis to Revelation, brothers and sisters, say that one of the main fruits of your redemption is singing in your voices to God. Paul develops a very robust theology of worship. Go and read it sometime. Singing, making melody in your hearts to God. And yet we come to East Aboga Baptist Church and we stand in the pews with our hands in our pockets Looking and waiting for it to be over. 
And occasionally the choir will sing a song that really gets us moved and we'll stand and clap then. But next week they'll sing a song we don't particularly like. And we'll go to Jack's the next week and we'll complain about it. We'll talk to Ben in the hall or Mike in the hall. We'll even get bold enough to talk to Randy and say, man, I don't really like that song. Why not? It's singing the praise of the one who saved you. How dare any of us have a preference? Listen to me this morning. How dare any of us have a preference about a music that's proclaiming the gospel, about a song that's proclaiming the gospel, and refuse to sing it? You know what people say about that? Isaac Watts said, let those refuse to sing who never met our God. I believe if you're not singing, we have to call into question if you've met the same Jesus I've met. Throw your preference out the window. There's no room for it where God's people gather. Mike talked about it last week. We can sing everything else, and our teenagers do. We can sing every other song with passion. It comes on at the football game on Friday night, and everyone's singing it. We know it. I'm not going to, just like Mike, our heart's not to be legalistic this morning. We're not going to have the debate on what is proper and not. But if more music that doesn't honor the king is going in, then honoring the king is not going to come out. And we, our kids don't know them. Our people don't know them. And they know everything else. Florida Georgia Line has put out. Ariana Grande has put out. We sing the classics from the 80s and the 90s. And we don't have a clue about the songs of the faith. And we're not talking about new versus old, hymns versus contemporary. Like I've already said, throw your preference out the window. God's people worship with joyful service by singing. Listen. Listen to what Paul David Tripp said. Corporate worship is designed to stimulate in us a love for Jesus that's greater, deeper, fuller, and more life-shaping than the love that we have for anything else in our life. Yet, we'll come, we'll gather, we'll mumble through it, and we'll head out. By the way, it's not an excuse when we say, well, Ben, I really can't sing, I just make a joyful noise. And you sit back there and you mumble along under your breath. If the scriptures call us to sing. And Jesus calls us to life from death. And he's really coming back one day. And we're going to do it all eternity in heaven. Why not get ready now? We learn how to work new phones, new operating systems. We learn new jobs. And yet we can't be bothered to learn how to sing. I don't buy it, brothers and sisters. I don't buy it, and neither do the scriptures. We express our joyful worship and service through shouting, serving, and singing. So with me, will you examine your heart this morning and see where you fall? We shout and we serve and we sing with joy, not under compulsion and legalism, not under because Ben's going to get mad and yell at us again. We do it because God has rescued us. That's our motivation because He is God and He is good. Let's continue. Not only are we to worship with joyful service, we are to worship with humble reverence. There are at least seven imperatives in Psalm 100 that are like roadmaps, assigned posts on the path toward proper worship. What are we to know? Two things that He is the Lord, first of all, of creation. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people. And the sheep 
of his pasture. Remember that the heavens declare the glory of God. The scriptures open with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This God who is Lord and who is good is the Lord of all creation. He made everything we see, and he made you and I as well. And who are we to not worship him? Worship is ascribing worth to something. Who are we to not fall on our face and worship him? He's the Lord of creation, but he's also the Lord of salvation. He says that we are his. We are his sheep. We are his people. Israel understood their covenant relationship with God. Anytime this was mentioned, in their minds and hearts, they went back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, who had melded them into his people, had chosen them to be his people. And they relate these attributes back to that time. God chose them. And we experience this relationship now through the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel proclaims our restored fellowship with the great shepherd, the Lord you know is God indeed. Without our aid, he did us make. We are his folk, he doth us feed. And for his sheep, he doth us take. We understand that the salvation that this God who is good has wrought in us could not be earned. And we did not deserve it, yet he gave it to us anyway. That motivates us to worship the Lord with humble reverence. And somebody said, well Ben, there's a contradiction here, isn't there? You said worship with joyful service and you're getting loud and wound up about it and asking us to shout and sing. But now here's where I fall in. Humble reverence. Stoic silence like I like to call it. You know the verse. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silent before him. Dear brothers and sisters, context is key to reading the scriptures. And there are no contradictions in the scriptures. If the God who calls his people to shout, serve, and sing also calls them to humble reverence. Isn't there a way to do this, the, both of them together at the same time? There is. Humble reverence just simply means a proper knowing, an understanding of who God is. Brothers and sisters, we need that. Joyful shouts can still be humbly reverent. It's an attitude of the heart, not just an outward emotion. We could work up some emotionalism in here this morning, run the aisles, dive in the baptistry, shout and hoot and holler and and balance on the back of the pews and accomplish nothing. But someone who understands his place, who says, I am nothing. I have nothing. From the wealthiest person in the room to the poorest, I have nothing. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's humble reverence. That's a proper understanding, and that informs a deep, never-ending, never-getting-old idea of worship I think back to our wedding we stood right here and we sang Christ alone cornerstone weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm he is Lord Lord of all that was a joyful occasion but it was also a solemn occasion that's what they when, when the people come to us to ask us to do weddings a minister or a pastor solemnizes the vows that's why I signed the marriage license to say this, this will really happen. That's a solemn occasion. But we can gather for the solemnity of a wedding and still joyfully shout what God is doing in the midst. Are you with me? We worship the Lord with humble reverence, with joyful service. And finally, verse 4, with thankful praise. Oh, enter then his gates with praise. 
Approach with joy his courts unto. Praise Lord and bless his name always, for it is seemly so to do. Worship the Lord with thankful praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. James says every good and perfect gift comes down from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. Look at me. What do you have to be thankful for? We've already established God's majesty. We've already established our place before Him that He saved us. He made us His when we couldn't deserve it. So let's take that one off the table. We know we're thankful for salvation. What else are you thankful for? Are you thankful for your family? Are you thankful for your job? Are you thankful for your church family? Are you thankful for the the provisions God has given you? Are you thankful for health? Are you thankful for filling the blank? We worship the Lord with thankful praise. Our thankfulness informs our praise. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. That means to draw near to where He is. It used to be the temple. Do you remember? The temple, the tabernacle before that. And you went in. Only the priest could go in. If you were just a person like you or I, you could only go so far. And then you had to stop and you had to look from a distance. The priest could go in on your behalf. But now, through the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews 4 says we can approach God's very throne with confidence and there find grace to help in time of need. We can draw near with our thanksgiving. We can draw near with our worry. The apostle says to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. That should inform our thankful praise. Give thanks to him. Bless His name. I'm I'm reminded of Revelation chapter 5. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's thankful praise. That's that's going to be us one day. Why not start now? Old song the Easter's used to sing. There's a roof up above me. I have a good place to sleep. There's food on my table and shoes on my feet. You gave me your love, Lord, and a fine family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. If for anything else, we should worship the Lord with a thankfulness in our hearts because of what He's given us. Salvation, family, provision. This thankful praise as well before we pray. Even on our toughest days, listen, my heart's for you this morning. And I hope you see that. I, as well as anybody, know the difficult days that it can be to try to praise God's name for what he's doing. Our story isn't anything unique, but you know what Shelby and I have walked through. Countless others in here have walked through sickness. Loss, loss of job, marriage issues, fill in the blank once again. Ben, what about those days? I hear you. It's easier for you to stand up there and get on us, but you don't know what I'm carrying in here. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. This thankful praise, we commit to it and do it with consistency. You know what it does? It points us, first of all, to the Lord who is God and the Lord who is good. But beyond that, it points other people. You see, this psalm was written for all the earth, was it not? 
it tells all of creation there's something different about him. There's something different about her. She goes over there to that East Aboga church, doesn't she? Don't they? What are they doing over there? Why? He just lost his job. Why is he so kind and gracious and excited? This thankful praise points us and, our, and others to the truth that we read in verse 5. That his steadfast love endures forever. That is faithfulness. Even when we let him down. Even when we fail to worship properly. His faithfulness extends to us, to our families. And forevermore. Worshiping with thankful praise puts things back into perspective. And it preaches the gospel to all those around us. So where are you this morning? As we prepare, Randy and Amanda are coming. We're going to sing a hymn of response in just a moment. Where are you? How's your worship? Are you worshiping with joyful service? Are you shouting, serving, singing? Be honest with yourself this morning. Be honest with the God who made you, the God who saved you, the God who reigns. Is Ben Curley worshiping in a way that's becoming of the salvation God has given me? Are you worshiping in humble reverence? Because see, if you notice while we walk through this, lacking the humility and reverence typically causes us to fall short in the joyful service. Because we begin to feel entitled. We begin to feel that we should have a say. That things aren't going the way I want them to go. And then go, that goes back to the preference thing that we've already mentioned. But if we have the humility-filled reverence that God is God and we are not. And that He saved us when we were unworthy. That informs our joyful praise and our, our service and our thankful praise. Where are you on that? Do you need to repent of pride? Do you need to repent of selfishness? That's the response to Psalm 100. Thankful praise. Have you been thankful? Have you expressed it? Have you literally? I, we, we get so abstract sometimes and put it way out there. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm thankful in my heart. Have you said with your lips, thank you to God today? That's how we respond to Psalm 100. And more than that, if you're in the room this morning, so Ben, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. It sounds great. I don't know, though. Let me just simply ask you. Do you know Jesus? Have you ever confessed Jesus Christ as Lord? You see, this Lord of salvation can be yours this morning. The Lord who made you died so that you could live. And three days later, He beat death and lives for you. And one day is coming back for all of those hidden in Him. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? If not, I'll be here. Pastor John will be here. We'd love to tell you more about what it means to be a Christian. And more than that, those in the room who know Christ, will you come and do business with God? Will you repent where there needs to be repentance? Will you lift up those who have needs? Will you just simply praise God and thank Him for what He's done? Those are the way that we properly respond to what we've read. Lord, have your way. May we respond in a way that honors you this morning. In Jesus' name, as we stand... And we get ready to sing. Would you come?